0: to the atlanta tennis podcast every episode is titled it starts with tennis and goes from there we talk with coaches club managers industry business professionals technology experts and anyone else we find interesting we want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis
1: hey hey this is sean with the atlanta tennis podcast Recently, we spoke with USPTA certified tennis coach Rob Carver. Rob considers himself as boots on the ground for promotion of the sport and development of players, and he has a new book to tell us all about. Have a listen and let us know what you think. First, I guess I'll ask the obvious question because I want to start in the beginning and I say, uh, you know, Rob Carver, we brought you on. I really appreciate it. You know, it's really great to be here kind of thing, right? Um, But to say you are I I tried to do a little research. I couldn't find much more There's actually not a lot about you online. It's actually trying to find out anything I can about Bobby Schindler It's kind of the same thing. It's like you guys really don't exist other than your USPTA number Um, But uh, I know we've all got history. I know uh, Rob I finally figured out going through the book, which I really appreciate it. It's been fun to go through Um, And then Bobby even gave me a little insight you went to Barry as you as you share in the book but you went to Barry
2: with John
1: Hannah, is that correct?
2: Yeah. Uh we were doubles partners actually. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, we've got some stories that I don't know if we can share online, but no, uh,
1: no, no, no. We'll <laughs> leave it at that. We will leave it at that. That's, we get you and John on, and you guys want to both agree to share. There we go. We'll we'll do that at some point. That'd be a lot That'd of That'll
2: be a day-long seminar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Bunch of talkers on at
1: the same time. Exactly. Um, and I'm sure some great stories, but I try to do my due diligence, kind of find out a bit about you, but there's not, there's not a lot out there. And I compare it to Bobby as well. I'm like, for me, I'm more of an open book. There's a lot more, maybe it's just something about how I do my business where there's a lot, I'm I'm easier to learn about. So we're stuck basically just asking you. So we're gonna have to trust you to tell us about you. Um, So if I say, who are you?
2: And why do we care? Who is, uh, who is Rob Carver? I guess I'm on the ground floor with uh, everybody in Atlanta with, you know, the hours that you put in on the tennis court that, you know, that's what the uh, the, the reps of the uh, tennis equipment industry talk about that, you know, the pros on the ground level. Uh, we're out there with people on a daily basis, hourly basis. Um, somebody asked me a question one time about what type of racket does Roger Federer use? And I showed them and they said, oh, wow. And so basically we are the presence in people's faces so to speak we're right there with them every day and so uh instead of just writing an article and in a tennis magazine and you know that person's name from a magazine you get to you know I'm, I'm like Bobby you see me every day out there on the court face to face you got it I like it and
1: so we're jumping we're jumping in the interesting thing the main reason I heard about you, and I mean, I've, I've known your name for 20 years now. I don't think you and I have ever been in the same room at the same time unless it was a pro-am and I was young and I don't remember. Um, but it, it's fun when we get to do these these talks and it's fun to say, oh my gosh, yeah, I know that guy, but I don't think I've ever, I happen to have not played against him. Right. We just never bumped into each other. You live in essentially Atlanta area, but you're probably an hour away from where I am. Exactly. Uh, feels like forever, but you're you're promoting a book, and when Bobby told me that, I was all excited. Ah, sweet, this is exactly what we like to do, which is you know the, the local coach sharing his, sa- sharing his knowledge and in a, in a very straightforward way. I think one of my favorite tips you put in the book is you, you reworded what Bobby would usually call, keep it simple, stupid, and you call it keep, keep it simple and straightforward. Correct. And and I like that because the book is a lot of that. The book is just, here it is. I, I, I give you what I got, and I've got to ask kind of that first question that comes to mind as I go through the book. I'm like, all right, you didn't just sit down and take a year off and write this thing and come up with 366 tips. This had to have been notes throughout the years. When did you decide it was a collection good enough to share with everybody?
2: You know, it just hit me one time I was doing some, uh daily devotionals and where the whole thing came about was that we feed our brain in a bunch of different ways every day but not many tennis players think about how do i get better when i'm off the court and i thought you know if it's a rainy day instead of watching an hour tennis instruction video or just watching a tennis match this is something that you could literally have in your racket bag and i've had a couple people send me pictures that they're sitting on the court waiting for the lesson or their match to show up or their partner to show up and they're reading the book. Um, It came about just that, you know, a friend of mine, uh, one of my mentors said, you know, what's your purpose of this book? And I said, well, if I left this earth tomorrow, there's something for my tennis students to always have with them. And, um, you know, and I think we are guilty. We've all done this before on the court when we're on the court and we're explaining something and we just go on this diatribe and about, 30 seconds in, most adults have lost their focus. So like, yeah, get to the point, land the plane, even though we're passionate about sharing the information. So I thought, you know, I've always liked uh, Harvey McKay as an author because he'll have 66 chapters and each chapter of the book is three pages. I'm thinking I could read that book instead of a 45 page chapter. So I really wanted just some bullet points for people. And, you know, if you come away from a lesson, I'll ask this a lot of times to the group, Give me one takeaway from today. What's one thing you learned? And then, you know, sometimes people sit there and think that's all you want us to remember. Yeah, just take one thing because you know, as a player that when the ball's in play, you can't have 20 different thoughts going through your head.
1: That is awesome. We I do the same thing with, with our beginner kids. We work mostly mostly with beginner 10 and unders and that's often the, the last thing. You know, I'm holding the candy, you know, the, 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 what we call the bribery. I'm like, okay, so what'd you learn today? You know, give me one thing. It's always just one thing. I'm sure Bobby does something similar.
0: Well, it's from, the edu- from an educator standpoint, it's proven that everybody remembers the first thing you introduce. After you, the second thing you introduce in a lesson, it, it, the retention drops exponentially. So one thing is a good thing to remember.
1: Absolutely. And the, the, the time, and I, and I remember I, I did the same thing. Um, and it'll be fun to watch the progression of the book and, and how often we get to see it on court because I had a similar realization in I don't know, 2007 and doing, doing my book, I did the same thing. I'm like, well, let me at least write it down because my point of view was I keep saying the same thing over and over again, over and over again. Here it is. Try this. Try this. Okay, yeah, that didn't work. All right, try this. Try this. If I just write it down, here you go. For some reason you can't seem to remember when I tell you the same thing over and over again. So we'll just write it down and I, and I love what you've done here because you've 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 just written it down. Said, "Here you go." And it's not exhaustive. I mean, I think of Jorge Capistani. We spoke with him uh, late last year and he says, "I've got, I don't know, 2,000 drills on, you know, in my catalog. It's like I probably couldn't name 10 of them right now." You know, so the great part about writing these things down is you do have it forever. And we talk about a legacy and we talk about leaving something if not just for our kids or for our family, but really for our clients as a business. And we're in the business of that lasting memory of somebody saying, hey, what would Rob tell me to do? And you personalize it in the book where you bring a lot into it and say, okay, well, you know, Johnny did this and Jamie did that. And then you bring in the tip from the real life story. I've, I've got to know if that's a is that that the kind of thing that you thought about afterwards somebody said you know you should probably personalize this or that was within you of saying oh you know what this is an easier way this is just a better way to share the story knowing that it'd be a little bit more memorable to
2: personalize it for the reader you know my intent was to uh I guess not glorify but just give respect to my clientele that on a daily basis you know we learn from our students at the same time some a lot of the Tips in the book, I'll use a quote from somebody. And there's a learning aspect from everything. It's not so much the technical. If you're picking up this book to find out where your elbow should be on a topspin forehand, it's not for you. It's more the mental nuggets. But to your point about the clients, I wanted to honor them that I saw this in this lesson. Debbie did this, John did this, Steve did this, whatever. And actually, going through the editing process, I was told that I was using too many names, but I wanted to use every person I've worked with, and um, but they know, and it, it's funny because I kept a tally of you know most popular names, and and it's only first names, so no one could ever get mad, or but it, it, you know the names are in a positive light, so nobody should get mad about it. But um, saying that, you know, going back to your point, as far as you know, we wanted to get nuggets for people that, as I have evolved as a pro, I I took something from Joe Paterno. Apparently, he would spend over an hour and a half trying to figure out what he could say to college students, college football players to be the most impactful. And I tried to evolve and say the most impactful thing with as few words possible. So if I gave you 20 different instructions, you're like, what the heck did he just say? If I just said aim higher, something simple like that, and that's an easier way for a player to uh, absorb the, the tip and the strategy at the same time
1: definitely and i think that's 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 an experience thing that we get over time i remember being young i'm like okay well there's that thing and i can fix it and i'd say it one way and they wouldn't understand i'm like okay i can say it differently and say it a different way and they still wouldn't get it okay i can can say it differently but 25 years into teaching you've got enough experience I, i use my own number and 25 years into teaching for me i've got enough experience now to be able to know I can zoom out on all those different ways to say it and find one really good either example as you do, like you, you create the actual example of the situation, not just, Hey, you should aim a little bit higher over the net. Will you bring about where the person is and where their hat is and actually aim, like give me a visual you give me an example of that one thing that I can do to help me remember that one tip of, like you said, aim higher. But if you just say aim higher, there's no context. Right, It doesn't tell me when, it doesn't tell me why, it doesn't tell me how to picture it. So I really appreciated that about what you did, because I could tell there's experience there as a coach to be able to just not, not only come up with 366 things to say, that's, that's impressive in and of itself, and, and write them all down. Like I, Bobby and I have probably come up with 366 things, maybe, but I just like to use the same ones over and over again. But we might have, but we certainly haven't written them down. That's that's the diligence that I really appreciate. You talked about the, the daily devotion. It's that, it's that one thing we do every day to make ourselves a little bit better. And I think at the end of this, you kind you had to have felt good when you finally finished it and said, I, I think I got it. Like somebody, what, did I read that your, was it your daughter that helped you with some of the editing?
2: Yeah, she's an amazing writer and she's a very bright kid. She's a junior at Georgia. And um, my, one of my mentors uh, about the book said i'll edit it for you he's a longtime friend from a baseball fantasy camp that i met his name is roy berger shout out to roy but uh he said he would edit it for me and then he sent it back and he said holy cow i didn't realize how much you have here i don't really have the time to edit your book and so looking at the editing cost and so forth and my daughter writes so well um it was really it was a fun thing going back and forth every night We're both night owls and sometimes 1230 at night. We're on Google Docs going back and forth. And she said, dad, this doesn't make sense. And I said, well, it does from a tennis perspective, you know, and so and and it was it was fun. Um, It was a lot easier to work with my daughter instead of somebody that I didn't know. Um, And it was kind of very special to do it. And um, but, you know, the, the whole the whole process was a different ball of wax to me. It's just like, okay, I can put the tips on paper and my family gave me a hard time because I was in the kitchen writing it down and they're like dad why don't you just type it one time and I said no when I go back and type it I'm going to edit my own stuff and um, so um, and a funny thing happened when I started to type it I started getting tennis elbow because I was on the keyboard and I don't work on the computer or type much and I thought, what a wimp! That if my clients hear that I got tennis elbow <laughs> from typing <laughs> instead of lifting weights or something you know uh, strenuous on the muscle. But um, yeah, I get that is
1: the mo- the actual most bizarre tennis in- tennis injury.
2: Well, no, that's in the book, and you read that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's a good one, man. I've, n- <laughs> I've never known anybody ripping a couple of arteries. That's uh, that was uh-huh. a good one. Yeah.
1: Well, in your case, you got tennis elbow from the computer.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You've done your homework. That's good work. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and I got a
1: technical question, and the reason I went towards your, your editor is we all have a way of speaking. We all have our own unique speech pattern on the court. Bobby's got his as a coach. I mean, we're all USPTA certified, so in theory, we're all the same, right? And But we're not even remotely the same. And how we do things and how we talk. And I had the same question. I probably would not have gone to a family member for editing other than the fact that I love the fact that you were able to spend that much time with your daughter while she's in co- like that's family. You, you can't get that back. Like that is that is right. absolutely wonderful. Yeah. But she's also going to be familiar with your speech patterns. And there were a couple of times as I was going through the book, I'm I'm, look, I'm reading it with my wife and, I, and a couple of times I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have done that as an editor. And, and that's the first time I checked back. I'm like, All right. Hang on. Who edited this thing? It was somebody who knows your speech patterns. Because there's a time I'm like, well, I would have put a comma there. I wonder why. But it was it was some your daughter knows what you meant to say. And I'm sure there was a time because I have the same thing when I write uh, when I have somebody that knows me looking up going, Sean, this is how you talk. And, and writing is very different. And, and you have that one paragraph, maybe two paragraphs kind of tip in here. That's really easy to get through. I really like it. You pick it up, read one, 30 seconds. And you've got something you can work with, which I really like. But there was a time I recognized the speech pattern that that might have flown through a sentence. That that I, I I do the same thing. I'm sure Bobby does as well. And I don't I don't know if Bobby does much writing. Um, but it's but it's a very different thing when you put it down and you have someone who doesn't know you. It's like getting the new tennis coach. You've had that new player come in to play with you on the court. You have to get to know each other, not just as a person, but just
2: communicating. Yeah, well, she helped she was so good because she helped me with brevity that she said, Dad, there's too much in here. And I was thinking, no, but this person I'm talking about, this, 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 blah, blah, blah. And here I go, running off the mouth again. And then she's like, Dad, just keep it right there. I'm like, Yeah, you're right, baby girl. So <laughs> yeah. And but you know, one of my friends said, you know, you know, cut cut my head off and I can talk about sports forever. You know, we get we are we're all passionate about you know what we do on a daily basis and you know I appreciate you guys and what you're doing and when Bobby and I talked last year I thought man that's awesome what you guys are putting together I think Atlanta and you know our you know we we are so strong in Atlanta with our tennis the whole world doesn't even appreciate how intense it is and you know what you guys are doing I think I I give you guys a lot of props for going out there the way you guys are, are putting this whole thing together.
1: We appreciate that and love to love to get you involved as much as possible. And like like I said, when when Bobby said, hey, Rob wrote a book I'm all, at first, I was like, oh, no, not another local guy who thinks he can write a book. And then he told me what it was because I'm the same. I was, you know, yeah. 15 years ago, I was the local guy writing a book and nobody cared. So it, it's really cool now to see this and how well it's done and uh, and how well it was done, like how well you accomplished it um, and how, how, again, I don't want to say simple in a negative way, but simple and straightforward. Yeah. We're all talkers. You know, you could probably talk an hour on each of these tips. You can um, get 366 lessons just from this book yeah. over an hour because each one has so many intricacies and we can tell 30 different examples and, and really be able to drive it home. But to keep it simple and keep it right there, just give me that little thing that not a lot of tennis coaches are ab- are really able to do is to keep that brevity and and really narrow it down and say,
2: here's what you need to hear. Well, my brother kept me uh, grounded. He said, I didn't even think you could read a book, much less write one. So oh, ouch. You know, older brothers are like that. So, ouch. <laughs> yeah.
0: So Rob, you work out of East Cobb area, am I correct?
2: East Cobb and Roswell, a little bit of both. Right.
0: And do you, how is your breakdown? Kids, adults, privates, groups, everything, or is there something you prefer?
2: Uh, You know what? It doesn't matter. Somebody asked me one time, you know, who do you prefer to teach? Basically, it's a willing student. Um, I had a little seven-year-old yesterday. He was a handful. But when we connected, it was great. He's a high-maintenance kid, and it was an intense, long 30 minutes. But it was fun to connect. Whereas working with adults, I usually teach ladies in the morning, um, and then juniors in the afternoon, and then finish the day with uh, adults, either you know, women or men. So I, I don't care who I teach. It's just if you have the right attitude and you want to get better, it's fun to teach. So, you know, is it easier to coach the better players sometimes? But there's something great about molding clay is what I call it, like a beginner player. And then you can see him progress. Um, so and then, and then when you look at the really good player, it's it might be just a slight tweak. Um, I had a guy last night who's gotten really good Um, but I can see right before he hits his, his shot on a slower ball, he gets very tight. And I told him, I said, listen, your biggest demon is within you. And he looked at me kind of strange, like, you know, what's wrong with me? I said, listen, you are so intense with trying to do it the right way. I said, you are too tense when you hit. I said, all I want you to do is just tell yourself, loosen up and just let that tosspin go. And it's, you know, those are the fun things, the little nuggets. And that's kind of where the whole book thing came about.
0: Well, that, that's that's the God's honest truth. And, and I loved your schedule, by the way. That there's that the atypical Atlanta tennis pro who's on the court every day. We're on the court in the morning. We got a couple hours off in mid-afternoon, and we come back on when the kids are getting off from school. And then you got a couple hours of adults, and that's your day. And that's, that's your day. Right. At long least, days for good days. Long days but good days, exactly. But that is the demo. People are always are amazed. Well, you don't work weekends. Well, everybody's playing on weekends. We don't work that much. On weekends, our meat and potatoes is Monday through Wednesday. You fill in around Thursday and then Friday kind of come down fun day to get everybody charged up for the weekend. So there's the there's the grind Atlanta tennis instructor right there. But not only, Rob, you're leaving out this part. You still play competitively because I know I know the teams you're on and the guys (laughs) that you play with. And I work with a couple of them and they're they never give up playing. So you're still out there grinding as well.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's one of my buddies that works at a resort said, why do you still play? It's like if you play guitar in a band, but you don't tour anymore, you still like to play guitar. There's something fun about it and get that energy. And then you realize, you know, it's not as intense winning and losing, even though, you know, your day's not ruined as much if you lose. But you still feel better when you win. And it's I I, I said this years ago, I'm never going to be the fat Elvis on the court saying what <laughs> I used to do years ago. Um, I think you need to walk the walk as much as you talk the talk, and not that you have to play competitively, but I think you owe it to your clientele to stay in some relatively decent physical shape, um, because I think it also helps us teach better, too, because it can be a
1: grind. I used to say something similar to the kids. Or, I mean, adults is a different thing. You don't usually make adults do push-ups, but I used to say similar things to the kids say, I will never ask you to do something I'm unwilling to do myself.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: I think that okay. I think I got that from from Dennis Horde Bobby not like not that he said it or he was offering it but I think being around him there was that bit of you know what we need to be able to do this with the kids but I still need to be able to hit with some decent players whether I'm you know whether I'm Bobby you know, Bobby you don't play much at all if at all and Rob you're still out there as much as you can from what I hear which is why I'm surprised we haven't bumped into each other maybe you're uh, maybe you're you know, on, a, on better teams, I don't know.
2: I've been ducking you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think
1: anybody's avoiding me. Uh, that's probably not a, not a thing that happens out there.
0: Well, Rob, I don't know if you've noticed, on several se- uh, occasions, Sean has now made it blatantly obvious that he's 10 years, at least 10 years younger than us. So, yeah, right. you know, we have juniors. You have a junior in college. I have one in high school. He has a newborn. You know, he's been teaching 25 years. We're probably closer to 35 years. So he's been digging us just, you know, a little bit remind hey i'm still the young guy here so yeah that, that's okay and and that's that goes back to sean rob and i met and i think it was pro and probably what do you think around 97 or 98 something what was it was there yeah it was, was Atlanta athletic tournament. club right the Atlanta the, athletic club
2: the uh cure ace out leukemia i think it was summer of 97 actually yeah
0: so it was a long time rob won the thankfully i didn't have to play in the same flight he won the higher flight and i won the beginner flight with my yeah. pro- so we had a got the, the ball and had a good time but that's that tells you how long ago we've already met it's like yeah. start doing the numbers like darn that's more than 25 26 years that we've that's known right. each other so. wait a minute i thought john hannah won all the pro-ams
2: Nah, <laughs> johnny pro-am baby
0: that's it john john taught us all well he's like hey man we get paid <laughs> to play tennis go do it
2: there you go
1: <laughs> the, the ones he takes off he lets somebody else win a few
0: well you you know and Rob can speak to it. John, the nicest guy in the world, is as competitive as can be. And, you know, the first time you hit with him, how did the two hands on both sides grip you?
2: Yeah, that was that was crazy. First time I met him, like, what's up with that? But yeah, uh, yeah he pulls it off pretty well.
0: Yeah, he can return a serve. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> And let's be clear, I love to hit the ball. I just don't have the shoulder that allows me to play. As Rob alluded to earlier, he likes to go to baseball fantasy camps. I spent a little too much time on a pitcher's mound, and it, my age serving is is not easy. You, you get to hear the arthritis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, zero disrespect <laughs> on whether you, whether you play every weekend, you know, if Rob's out there every weekend and Bobby, you never play a match. I have I've played one match in three years. You know, I'm, I'm slowing down with my competitive tennis as well. So it's 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 not disrespect at all to say you, you don't play very often. It's more of a, a style. And I think that's one of the interesting things about Atlanta tennis as Rob, you were alluding to earlier, is to how unique it is here that we don't all have that, I've got to go out and compete all the time mentality because it's so much of a business and we're on court so much that at some point when you get home at night, you may not want to think, oh man, it's Friday night, I've had a long week. I can't wait to go play AA1 tomorrow morning, like get up in the morning and be ready for that. I might just want to sleep in and hang out with my kids.
2: But it's, it's in my world, it's kind of a therapy. Um, it's just to let it out. And, and I told somebody that I heard this at a seminar years ago, that tennis is a legal way to hit the hell out of something that, you know, and it's to end the day with a very good student that you get to mix it up with and hit a little bit. You get the blood flowing because a lot of times our professions like working retail, that you're standing there so much and your legs get flat. I found that if I hit with somebody or do like the like this afternoon, I'm planning to do some footwork because it's 40 degrees. I'll do the footwork with the kids to warm up mainly. And then you get this little bit surge of energy. And, you know, the kids will always ask me in the winter, why are we doing ladder drills? I'm thinking, cause I'm freezing over here. Cause I'm cold. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but to, to your point, it's fun to hit the tennis ball. And if you're not competing just to serve and play a few points with somebody and I, and um, I think the, the clients pre- appreciate it. And sometimes, you know, I've got three ladies or four, we'll, I'll jump in and play some points with them. They like that. But um, I just think it's fun to hit the tennis ball.
0: Yeah, now, do you, I think, do I think do you, we're both the same way. And do you bring that to your teacher, Rob? Because, I mean, that's the, I'm the same way. I'm the, you know playing a long time. I played probably more baseball than tennis when I was growing up. So I still just love to hit the ball. I remember being at a, a pro-am watching TJ Middleton play, surrounded by great players, but yet, when the ball came off TJ's racket, it was just that much cleaner, and that's always been my goal. I, I wanted just for five minutes, hit like for, like TJ did that one day, just to have that sound. But you bring that to your clients in that energy, and I think that rubs off on them. They say, you know, like you said, if they're willing, and and I always say to people, look, I'm not an acquired taste. If if you're willing, I'm I'm a good guy for you. If you are here for other reasons, I might not be the right guy for you because. I'm going to get them out here with a lot of energy and I know I've seen you in action and I know you bring a lot of intensity and a lot of energy to a lesson.
2: You know, my background, I started tennis relatively late. I really got into tennis at 13, but my love was basketball and I played a lot of baseball and which was a good crossover thing for me. And I relate that to parents. It's really difficult to be, picking one sport at age seven and think you're going to be a a college athlete these days, much less a professional. But what what helped me was I wasn't that great at tennis. The backhand felt natural and I learned how to serve. That felt sort of natural, but I had to work on the technique, of course. But learning from other sports and where I struggled in tennis, I had to be curious. Why was I a better baseball player and a better basketball player than this dude who just kicked my butt in tennis. That drove me crazy. You know what <laughs> made him good? And so I think our our experiences as players helps relay that to players now. Say listen, you know, you can win today if you're not hitting the ball well. Well, instead of always feeling like and I tell people all the time, forget about winning, you have one job, that's to make your shot to your intended target. What do you do if that ball comes back? Well, then you have another intended target or maybe it's the same target because you cannot think about winning. Well, everybody wants to win, but how do you win? You have to backtrack that. I need to make my shots. And then it comes into, okay, you won this point. Now we need to win the next point because we got to get two in a row. So I I think um, it doesn't matter. And I like to read other coaching books, um, listen to different seminars from other sports. One thing I picked up on, and and you and I were discussing this about junior players. uh, One of my friends and I, we were talking at a seminar recently, like, how do we get kids to work harder? And I took something from Gino Ariema, the Connecticut women's basketball coach. One of his players said, if you can get through one of his practices, the game is easy. Absolutely. And when I feed a ball to a kid and make them run, they say, hey, that's not fair or that's a bad feed. And I've even told adults there's no such thing as a bad feed because your opponent's not going to give you a good feed. Right. You know, and I think we need we need to take real competition mix that into the lesson. And every now and then I'll slice a ball to somebody on a feed. And they look at me like, well, that was rude. And that, you know, what, what are you doing to me? And it's like, well, your opponent might slice it to you or you give them a big, I call a meatball, a big high floating ball. And all of a sudden they get impatient. Well, that girl's going to do that to you in the match or the guy's going to, you know, slice or lobby, whatever. So I think it's helpful for us to take things from other sports and, and put that into tennis to where you can make a situation difficult like it's a match in practice. So now when they come to the, the real match, they're not freaked out.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: It's also good that that you're practicing what you preach, so to speak. I mean, it's as a coach and a player, say, I'm out there doing it also. Say, when I, these things that I share with you, this is what I do. This is how I'm successful on the court. And I think there's some legitimacy in that as opposed to just being the theoretical teacher that just says, well, in theory, here are your angles and here's the right. thing that's supposed to happen. But I have no actual empirical evidence that this is gonna work, right? <laughs> to be able to be able to say, oh my gosh, I've gotta give you an example from my match this weekend. I enjoyed that as much to be able to to say, here's what we did. You know what, I was really struggling and, and one of your tips took me there. I was really struggling just couldn't find a target. So I went back to one of my old school ideas and I just hit the ball over the net strap for about three games in a row, right, everything over the net strap. And all of a sudden, we're back on serve. and th- So I take the example of having it work as a player. I think the players and and your, your clients, the people on court, your
2: students would probably appreciate that a lot. Well, it's crazy that you said that, that every single match I play, this sport reveals something to me. It might not be that, hey, if you hit the ball here, it goes like this. It might be an approach, something that, you just tell yourself, hey, relax on this return to serve. All of a sudden, you time the return to serve and you hit it really well. Where the last return to serve, you were real tight. You're trying to force it. Every single time I play, I learn something. And it's, like, it's amazing what can happen within that 36 by 78 foot rectangle.
0: So how do you get that, which I completely agree with, the idea of the patience and that is it is going to take some time in a world that wants everything yesterday dealing yeah. with adults and children on both because as a coach we know that a rela- coaching is really a relationship and to get the full gusto out of the relationship it's going to take some time in all probability because it's going to require some trust and a lot of folks aren't willing to give that how much does you think that's hurting the game today
2: i just had a conversation with a mom last friday whose daughter's She's got two middle school daughters. One's in high school, one's in middle school. And they took about two years of tennis. They got into tennis through COVID and one's a swimmer, one's playing softball. And the mom said, you know, she's getting pretty good at this sport, but she said, you know, kids don't understand today. You don't things. They get frustrated when it's not easy right away. Mm -hmm. And I told her, I said, that's right. I said, you know, we've got to find ways for kids to understand nobody's an expert right away. They think that they can win real fast. And I think phones are part of that, that, everything is all, you know, you get this dopamine when you send off a tweet or a picture on Instagram and all that. Uh, And I think, you know, okay, if you take the statistics, 70% of all points on the pro tour are ended by a mistake. Now they might make the whole point look better, but it's a failure sport, very similar to baseball. You know, 70% of the points are lost. You look at baseball. If you succeed three out of 10 times, you're still failing seven out of 10 times at the plate. And if you but succeed, you're the,
0: but you're in the hall, then of you're fame. in the hall of fame. In right? the hall of fame, sure,
2: exactly. <laughs> so I think, you know, okay, losing's good. You know, you have to learn from losing, and, and you know, you also want to learn from winning too. But going back to, if you're on the court, you've got to understand that you need to make your shot. It's not so much about how great your shot is; it's what can I do to make that person uncomfortable and try to force losing. And that is hard, and it's like on a daily basis. Now, I started doing something about a year ago. Um, I did this last summer and it was very successful where I was in the afternoon at three o'clock. I have two courts, one court shady and one sunny. So middle of July, what are you going to do? You got the shady court. So I told these kids and they were about seven years old. They were starting to whine about the heat. Meanwhile, the pool is right behind the courts. And all they can think about is when's the ice cream man coming by and when can I get in the pool? And they're seven and eight years old for an hour lesson. And I said, hey, guys, you see that court over there? And they're looking at me like it's it's the devil or something. I said, yeah, it's hot over there. That's the sunny court. I said, if you complain at all about the heat, we're going to the sunny court and you don't get water breaks. Now, of course, I'm going to give the kids water breaks. And the parents heard me. And the parents were like, really? He's going to do that? Well, <laughs> not one kid complained. And every 10 minutes, they got water and everything was fine. You know, you set the, the parameters up. Say, so yeah, this is going to be difficult, but it could be worse. So the other thing I started doing with kids is, you know, the younger kids, when we do a basket of balls, you know, just to keep score, whoever wins the most points gets to choose which side of the court they're going to pick up. So obviously the team that wins will go to the side where there's fewer balls to pick up. So one day after the team that won, they're so happy because they only had to pick up 30 balls, the other 120 are on the other side. And so I took the basket of balls instead of in the middle of the court and I put it way over on the baseline by the team that had to pick up the most balls and as soon as the kids that were picking up the 20 balls saw where I put the basket, they're like, that's not fair. And all this stuff. I said, listen, you got to find a way to win. You got an obstacle, overcome it. And then when I put the kids together at the net afterwards, I said, you know, the Navy SEALs have a mantra. You find a way to win. There's going to be difficult things. You know, winning's the only option in war. You either win or you die. And the kids are like, yeah. And I said, so next time something's difficult. I don't need to hear the wah-wah. You find a way to win. <laughs> And that's the thing, you know, in a tennis match, things are going to go bad. Someone's going to call it a bad call. You know, it's it's going to be on the line and you know it and they're going to call it out. You got to deal with it. And I think when we do little things like that for kids and tell them, listen, it's going to be hard out here and, and make conditions hard, uh, a team starts to win. It starts to dominate. That's where we tweak it as a pro and make it even tougher for them to win. And it's not mean. And And I think our society, all we want is kids to feel good. And we we have to be the bad guys sometimes that listen, mom and dad, if you want your kid to get better, you know, this isn't the military, but we've got to learn some lessons out here. The tennis is a tough game. And, you know, one on one. I mean, it's it's the craziest thing to me in tennis. It's like a war. You against me. I didn't like the way you called it, whatever. I didn't like the way you looked at me and you beat me. And I'm supposed to go up to the net and go, oh, shucks. Good job. Thank you. Congratulations for kicking my butt. That's hard to do, but that's that's what we have to deal with. And I think we can train kids to go through that and adults at the same time. I like the I like the
1: boxing metaphor. Uh, I use that more than more than war. Um, I think it was J.J. Wolf was quoted as saying you know, he was drawn to it as a as, a, as that boxing mentality, that one on one kind of thing. But I really like what you said about the obstacles. And that was one of one of the tips in the book was the four obstacles and, and it, I've been doing this a long time and i hadn't considered the infinite amount of options that you have of ways to miss a shot as an obstacle and i like how you did it you say okay you got the net as an obstacle that's a thing right we always see the picture hanging on the wall if you have obstacles in your way it's a mountain right there's, it, there's always a thing in your way but you actually took the obstacle and said okay you got the thing that's the net you got two opponents but that other obstacle could be a hundred things it could be your own mental struggle it could be your stress it could be Right. But you picked the infinite space there is to miss is actually, I thought that was a really interesting obstacle to overcome. And it sounds good that you, like you say, you, you talk to the kids, you talk to adults in the same way. It's, this could always be worse from a, from a heat point of view, from a cold. We want these kids to work hard. We want the, we want our clients to work hard because this is the time to work. I think it was, it wasn't Windermere, Bobby. It was, What's the other uh, Winward. word? Uh, it was Cannon Campbell back in the day had that phrase. He said, train hard, win easy. And like you said, work hard today,
2: going into your match the next day is easy. Well, you can't. I don't think in any sport, can you say, well, I'll hustle for that in a real match or I'll do this. in the." Re-. Oh, yeah. I would have tried. I, I would have tried. Yeah. I there you sport. go. Yeah. <laughs> if this was the match. I'd have gone for that. Well, it's not a light switch, man. It's like Kevin Garnett had a saying when he was a kid on the playground in between the lines. It's all about the business. I'm like, yeah, every time you walk inside that gate, you know, it's not war, but it's hey, it's a battle right here. And, and we, you know, it's not practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice. I like that. That's my wife
1: and I go back and forth. Cause I call it. Yeah. Practice doesn't make perfect. Only permanent. perfect practice makes perfect.
2: Yeah. And my wife likes to say yeah.
1: practice makes permanent. Right. So right. If, even if you practice it wrong, guess what? You're going to be permanently installing wrong. I like it. We've all got those phrases that we use and we've, we've perfected, so to speak our phrases, but even, and I, and I talk with Bobby a lot, obviously, and even us at, where we are in our careers we're still learning like you said you're you're even out there on the court learning when you play a match you're out there with your students learning from them and we're always adjusting i think you made a comment a few minutes ago about something i started doing this year and i think that's fantastic because i do the same thing i'm like you know what this year i'm going to implement this and i think about okay these this is how i operate now but that doesn't necessarily mean i was as good at doing this as i as I think
2: I was 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And I I think we owe it to our students that if I ask them to train and and apply themselves and evolve, that it's up to us as pros to be better. And looking back and you go, wow, I was terrible 20 years ago. Well, maybe I was okay for it at the time and it worked then, but um, you know, that's where you go to seminars and, and you learn different things. And if you know 25 ways to teach a forehand and you hear one nugget at a seminar, now you have 26, that might be huge for somebody.
1: That's why I'm excited about the book because I, I mean, I, I look at Bobby, I'm like, we've been doing this a long time and we all think we're good at this. We all. I joked with the kids the other day, I'm like, there's nothing about tennis I don't know. And then I thought about your book sitting in the house near the courts, I'm like, hang on, I'm sure I'm going to go learn something tonight. You know, so I we've got to be humble when it comes to what we don't know.
2: Yeah. One of my uh, brother's best friends, who's a baseball coach, who's a great guy, he said what he knows about baseball is this much. He said it's a big world. He said he knows this much and he knows that. But it's a big world. And that's true. And it's, you know, it's people come up with stuff all the time and it might be crazy, but it might connect with somebody. So it's fun to try different things, too. Sometimes it works. Exactly. Uh,
1: Bobby, I want to go to my my favorite question coming up. You got you got anything before I? uh...
0: I hit my, my favorite question. No, because we, we've said we're going to try to keep these relatively short. So <laughs> exactly. I, we could go on forever here. So I, I, we'll, we'll try to bring it in a little bit.
1: Okay. Um, and, and Rob, I know at, at the end, I want to ask, I don't know if you've got, and, I, and I'll ping you for it at the end, but I'll prime you for it now. Um, I don't know how all the ways your outlets for selling the book, I don't know if you've got a few hundred of them in your, in your garage that you're able to sell and give away, or if it's only on Amazon. So at the end, I want to make sure you let everybody know uh, how they can get the book. I know it's on Amazon. That's where I can obviously find it, because that's where everything comes from. Um, but you know, if there are other ways, if there are local ways, I know at Go Tennis, um, we've got ability to, to market and publish as well. So we might ask you and say, hey, can we get 10% off for our listeners or for our Go Tennis members? Um, so I'll, I'll prime you for coming up with that. But before that, I wanna ask my favorite question and we sent it to you ahead of time. So you're, I know you're well prepared. I'm sure you've lost sleep over the answer because uh, no, I'm, I'm sure you haven't because we're all guys that can probably answer this question without priming. Um, but if you were king of tennis, is there something you would change it whether it's the world whether it's just atlanta if you were king of tennis is there anything that you would really love to see different about what happens like i said either all over the world or just in atlanta whatever uh, whatever target you would take
2: yeah i think it works on the recreational and also my second part of the response would be to the professional level i would get rid of the let on a serve you know, they do that in NCAA because they were basically just screwing each other in NCAA years ago. So, you know, ace. No, that was a let. And I keep you're not it. trying. Yeah. So um I would get rid of lets. And you know, if the ball hits the net on the serve, that's your fault. And if it slows it down, the returner comes up and pounds it. Well, you shouldn't hit the net on the serve. So I, I would get rid of that. Um, number two, specifically for the pro tour, I'd get rid of coaching. Um I I don't like the fact that. You know, back a couple years ago, Serena Williams, her coach, was caught cheating. And, you know, I think the best way to do that is to move the coaches away from the court. You know, why are they on the first row where they can coach? Um, Now, at the Australian Open, they're allowing coaching. And I was confused the other night. They were talking about you can only coach for so much, some short amount of time. You can't say too much. And it's kind of confusing. But one of the unique things about tennis to me is that if you figured something else, something out about my game and you turn the match around. That's because of your experience and your wisdom. Whereas, okay, what if you're a top 10 player, you can afford Paul Anacone or Brad Gilbert or, you know, Greg Kasha, he will be your personal coach where I'm number hundred in the world. And I can't afford that, that type of coach. So our obvious right away that you've got an advantage because you've got a better coach than what I can afford. So I think the unique thing about tennis, it's mono a mono And it's what you figure out as the match progresses. And, um, I heard Luke Jensen talk recently. He said that Roger Federer would be, you'd be hanging with him. You might've lost the first set seven, five, and it'd be three, two in the second set. All of a sudden he would change something and Roger owns you. Well, that's part of his right up here. And it's just not ball striking. We've all pulled up to the courts and said, who's that amazing hitter? Well, he hits the ball well, but he doesn't adjust very well to a slower ball and so i think that's the unique thing about using the mental side of tennis um you know and it's funny when i saw that question i was talking to a friend of mine about it. i said you know what would we do to change tennis to make it better and one of my friends said and, and i totally believe this because i like to play the net he said we need to incorporate the volley more and i'll never forget back in 2008 I think it was the Sunday before Wimbledon at the French Open, the tournament director from Wimbledon said, you know, we've made the base harder to increase rallies at Wimbledon. And coincidentally, that was the first year that Nadal won Wimbledon. And now when you look at it, nothing against Nadal, but he's a baseliner. You don't even see tread marks going towards the T. Everything's worn out on the baseline. And I know technology, you can't change I don't know if we could ever change the strings and keep the rackets a certain way because or change the balls. I think it it's great what we have. But remember when Patrick Rafter and Stefan Edberg and Johnny Mack and Sampras came to the net and versus a baseliner? How fun was that contrast? I mean, I, I don't remember anybody going, I wish Edberg or Rafter would stay at the baseline more. You know, <laughs> it's so fun seeing that. Um, so I I would, I don't know. I, I would really go back. I would really like to see Wimbledon go back to a softer base to where the ball doesn't bounce so high to where you're compelled to come to the net instead of having all these 20-stroke rallies from the baseline on grass. But uh, you know what? I, and if I could tweak the U.S. Open, I'd be interested to see this. I, I always get frustrated. They talk about the ratings for tennis that you know the U.S. Open ranked so low compared to football. What are we doing going up against NFL football and NCAA football? If <laughs> Labor we, Day weekend. <laughs> I mean, we're crazy, yeah. So I, I would do this. I would start the U.S. Open a week earlier and finish on Labor Day weekend. Sunday night, have the women's final. Monday night, everybody's getting ready to go back to work. We'd have the men's final at 5 o'clock or whatever. That'd be interesting to see if you know if we could get more ratings that way before we bang up heads against football that always gets the big ratings.
1: Yeah, but that's, that's a USTA thing, and we know how good they are at making decisions. <laughs> Bobby, yeah. what are your thoughts? I've got my thoughts. And I think we'd probably all agree on the let on the serve. I think that that moves things along. And I know that there's a huge discussion there. We probably both agree with you. But what do you think about the coaching at the ATP level? We don't talk ATP a lot here.
0: Well, but I, I think I loved what Rob brought up that people take for granted that it's an even playing field. And the, the advantage the better players have is the access to the coaching, the access to the person who's booking their flights, the, the nutritionist, the massage therapist. It, it's not an even playing field. It's not remotely close. And, you know, that's a big advantage once you get to that spot. So, yeah, to, to, to keep it somewhat grounded. And again, and I, I agree with Rob. The
1: Yankees fan.
0: Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Listen, all I know is my dynasty in the 90s, that was majority homegrown and a great trade for a real Yankee, Paul O'Neill. Okay. So, don't get me started. Those up the middle were all Yankee farm kids. that came together. So just great scouting, G. Michael. God rest in peace. <laughs> Anyway, plus I was a Pirates fan, Rob, go ahead. tell him, hey. Rob, I was, I, I'm, I'm Latin and I grew up a Clemente fan. So, yeah. you know, I was, we are family. I love Dave Parker. He was the real, the reason I got my ear pierced anyway, I'm on a tangent, but no, so I, I don't like coaching and I, you know, that's what a co- coach is there to prepare you, put you into the arena. Now go do it. And like you said, I, I love the Roger Federer analogy. I remember there's a great Greg Maddox story that he talks about. He was pitching during the regular season to the guy, and the guy fouled off 20 balls in a row. And Terry Pendleton came up to him and said, dude, if you just throw it here, you'll get him. He goes, oh, I know that, but I I think we're going to face these guys in the playoffs, so I don't want to show it to him now. And I'm like, my God, if that doesn't tell you what put Greg Maddox on a whole different level than – everybody else that he's thinking two months into the future that he's going to continue to throw. And this guy might foul it off, but he's going to, he needs this pitch when he needs it two outs in the ninth in the world series. I was like that, that to me is a you know, whole nother. And that's what you want out of these guys. That's what I want out of my champion, something so unique. And and I think that was, was great about the big three that they all brought something completely different to the sport and again, I, I'm you know that unfortunately it became even by the way we did services, the different service. It was good to have Federer dominant at Wimbledon. It was good to have it where Nadal and Novak would go and battle it out at the, the French. You know, Novak wins the Australian, because I guess physically it's the gotta be the toughest sport, it seems, because they get to play some ma- marathon matches and that plays in the Novak. And then the US opens a free-for-all because of the elements, the surface, the two weeks in New York, it's it Whose knees uh, still
1: work at that point. Yeah.
0: It's a right, the end of the season, it's a whole different set of dynamics. That's what makes the sport great. So, I'll yes. Take,
1: I'll take a different uh I'll take the other side. I haven't thought through all my you know, I haven't come to an opinion on on coaching at the professional level, but I I can make an argument for the coaching and why I do. One of the ways I do like it is I think it does the coaching on court I think it does level out the coaching for the players at the time where Rob says, hey, not everybody can afford Paul, Paul Anacone. And and I get that, but I think and just as watching, and again, we've only had a year or so of, of this test that we're doing with the coaching at that level, but I like the idea that a younger player or a guy outside of the top 50 that isn't quite as good at making those adjustments, he hasn't been on tour long enough, or he really doesn't have the coaching staff to make sure they've done all their due diligence and they know what to do at 3 all in the 5th, you know, serving in the right place like a Greg Maddox to be able to look up and go, "Where where do I go? What what do I need to do?" You know, the I think it was Paul Tommy Paul did that the other night in his in his quarterfinal match. And he's like, "Where do where do, where is he going to serve? Where is he going to serve?" And the coaches up there are like, "Cover the tee, cover the tee." And and I I do like that aspect. And again, I'm not arguing for it or against it. But I like that the player that isn't just locked in Roger Federer, I've got this, you know, kind of thing where I'm just going to figure you out and there's nothing you can do about it. The younger player or the player without that serious, seriously effective and efficient coaching staff can look up and get a little help against
2: those guys.
0: So who's giving the five foot nine guy six more inches? See, that's a genetic problem. (laughs) I'm, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Well, so it's mental
1: can't help you. I think that, that's the Ben Shelton. <laughs> I keep looking at my son, who's three months old now. I keep looking. I'm like six, four left-handed with a two-handed backhand. I'm going to need you to eat more. Like at, at that point, you just end up with a, with a physical side of things. And that's, you know, my, I'm calling it my new favorite, my new favorite tennis player is Ben Shelton, but that it, you just have that genetic ability. I'm only six feet tall. I'm not playing in the NBA. You know, there, there is that scenario where I also look at my son and I say, OK, if you're only five, seven, that's OK. You can still be Hall of Fame soccer player
0: <laughs> or a coach. That's what I tell the kid. <laughs> this is true. What do I see <laughs> when I see a five foot nine intense kid who's out there trying real hard? What do I call him in 10 years? Coach.
1: There you go. <laughs> yeah. I also I also want him on my team because there's a good chance that's that that hard worker that I want there as part of the group. Doesn't necessarily mean he's the line one guy, you know, winning every match, but he's probably got that got that working mentality that we all like. Rob, you use the phrase a willing. Would you? What did you say? A willing student. Yeah, willing student. Yeah, yeah, the right attitude, willing to learn. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've got nothing else for you. I really enjoyed the book. I appreciate it, Rob, and I will keep going through it. I'll admit I haven't read all of them. It hasn't been. I get a year to to finish Yeah, right, yeah, one a day, man. I really only had a week, so I I got through a lot. Um, But I I very much enjoyed it, and I'd love to have um, the podcast as well. Like I said, we're not not too big yet, but we're working on it. And we've got Go Tennis, which is a good ability to help in our minds, as uh, Bobby's probably shared a little bit with you, as some of the things we're doing, if not a lot of it, uh, to be able to try to help the Atlanta area. And I think this book is a great way to do that, because I think we are, uh, as Bobby reminds us a lot, that we're a social tennis group in Atlanta. There's not a lot of professional players come out, not even a lot of Division I high-level college players. We're not here in Atlanta churning out high-level players, but we love to be able to play with our kids. We love to play our leagues. You know, we love our, our flex leagues, and we, and we really enjoy it. And there are, a, I don't know, a seemingly infinite amount of coaches here. So it's great to find somebody as... Qualified as you, Rob, to be able to say, okay, not only do I do this full time, I've been doing it full time for a while, and for us to say, hey, this is this is a book we can share. Uh, how are you promoting the book right now? What's going on in? I mean, it came out last year. What's going on for twenty twenty three to get the book out there?
2: Uh, well, like you mentioned, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, my publisher is Booklogix. Book Logics Book, but it's all one word, book, and then L O G I X dot com um they've been at your serve tennis you can buy them there um you know we've done some book signings um and just it's online so anybody can get it um it uh i think it's i'm i'm proud of it because of what people have responded to me saying hey i've gotten something from the book and that to me means everything and i appreciate you guys and uh again good luck with what you guys are doing i'm glad to be a part of what you guys are doing and um, just things are it's fun to see things progress
1: well there you have it we want to thank rejuvenate for use of the studio be sure to check out rejuvenate.com if you're interested to improve your fitness health and wellness and not interested in a commute to the gym check out our other episodes at atlantatennispodcast.com also find us on social media and let us know what you think about our conversation mostly click that follow button whether you listen to every episode or just want to listen periodically you can follow us in your podcast app which helps us keep the show going and with that we're out see you next time